Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Goal Line Podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Andy Serafin, also known as the Football Physios on Instagram. So we're we're very excited to have Andy on the show today. We're here to talk about injuries, rehab, prehab, you know, everything performance related to the game. So Andy, thanks for coming on, man. Yo, Jesse, thank you so much for inviting me on the show, man. You're doing a great service out there for goalkeepers and athletes around the world, man. So thank you for having me on. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So first, Andy, how does it feel to be a doctor, man? How was that? What was that process like going through everything up until now and finally completing your your doctorate? Oh, man, it, it's been a long journey. It's something that I've been, it's been on my mind, like not even on my mind, but my sole focus for the past 10 years, really, since since the middle of high school and um, did four years at Temple University. I studied kinesiology, which is similar to exercise science. Um, then went down to Duke for the doctor of physical therapy program there and just graduated about two months ago and kind of taking life every day as it comes now. But man, it, it's been a journey, but it was kind of interesting. It's one of those things where like almost like your birthday where it's like once you get there, you're waiting your whole life to get there. Right. But once you get right. there, it's like, oh, OK, what's, what's <laughs> next? What, yeah. Thing, you know? so, <laughs> yeah, that's where I'm at right now. That's awesome. So when you were at Duke, did you have a chance to work with any of their soccer players or in their program at all and kind of understanding what their team does on a day to day basis in terms of strength training and rehab and et cetera? So I, I got a chance to work with um, or volunteer with a few teams down there. Unfortunately, Duke wasn't one of them. Um, as you know, and as any soccer coach out there knows, when you're sending emails and applications or whatever, um, you get a lot of non-responses and that's, that's just a right. part of the journey. So, um, the teams that I did have the pleasure to learn from down there included North Carolina FC, um, North Carolina's youth academy, as well as the courage, um, and, um, a small youth club called Triangle United. So I was kind of volunteering with them, um, mostly two to three times a week during school. And it was great to learn what I'm seeing in school and then directly apply it, um, during my volunteer opportunities. Yeah, and so what, what what was the talent like for those club teams, and you know what what were you doing, and what was your message that you were trying to get across to them in terms of understanding how the body how the body works? Yeah, so we'll start with we'll start with North Carolina FC and their youth academy. Uh, I was volunteering with their athletic trainer in the training room, and it's crazy, man, to to really see how tough these schedules are on our youth athletes. Because they're practicing three, four or five times a week and then they're traveling on the weekend. So when they were coming to us injured, a lot of it was education. And we're saying, Hey, we know you have this big tournament coming up that you have to play in because it's your showcase to um, college teams and college coaches. So let's educate you and give you the right tools you need. So that way we can prevent this from happening in the future. Um, kind of going into um, North Carolina FC and the courage, their senior teams. I was. An intern at a place called Athletic Lab in Cary, North Carolina. And their head coach and fitness coach, Mike Young, was amazing. He's one of the best fitness coaches in the world when it comes to speed and strength development. So um, got to learn from him a lot. And it really showed me that like professional players, that's a different level. You know, mentally, physically, technically, like you see it on TV, but until you're right there on the training field with them for multiple days of the week. Like you don't really see how big that difference is. Yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent makes sense. 
that's really interesting too. And also, you know, what, what do you think we can, because of the such demanding youth schedules too, especially nowadays, um, you know, what can these coaches start to do maybe before practice, during practice, or even after practice to help, to help kids understand, you know, like, while everything is demanding, you know, how can we stay healthy longer term, you know, other than you bringing in somebody like yourself, if, if clubs don't have the resources to bring in an outside help to help with that performance side of things, you know, what can we tell coaches to, to do with their players during, or, you know, like I said, before practice to help, to help maintain uh, a healthy, a healthy body. Yeah. So let's start way before practice, right? Let's actually start in the preseason because that's when the most opportunity is really there to be to be taken. When you're in your preseason, this is your chance to get stronger, to get faster, and prepare your body to stay as healthy as possible. Once the season starts, it's all about winning games, and it's all about performance. So you don't really have the time to get stronger, right? Because that's something that should have been done in the preseason. Love that. I love that. Yeah. And so during the preseason, you know, what what are some of the most common injuries that, that teams tend to see and how can we avoid that? Uh, in preseason, you're going to see a lot of muscle injuries and a lot of knee ligament injuries. And I mean, the reason for that is because a lot of the times preseason isn't really done correctly, right? It's a lot of clubs treat preseason as an early start to the season, right? Where you're not preparing your body you're already going straight into the the two times or two days a week and the high performance side. So you really have to treat your preseason as a gradual ramp up to your season. And it's tough to do, right? Because especially in, in the college world of things, sometimes you get two weeks of, pre, of preseason when a player has been off for the entire summer. And you're like, man, I got a lot of work to do on the physical and technical and tactical sides, but we only have two weeks. So I have no choice but to do two a day. So it's really up to the coaching staff and the players to decide to commit to a preseason program to really ramp the players up. Yeah, you know, that's really interesting because I, I never really, even really thought about it that much. You know, it's like every preseason we just came in, it was fitness test. And then, you know, when I was playing, we did three days and it was just like, I mean, we did three days for a couple of days and then it went down to two. But it's just like, you know, you're so sore for the for the whole eight, nine days, whatever it is during the preseason that, like you said, you know, you get in the next day, you're, you're going 110% full force and you're not, and it's kind of like the coaches are just saying like, Oh, well, the guy should have been in shape, you know? Well, yes, you know, they should have, but at the same time, it's your job to recognize that, you know, you're going to have guys that, that maybe weren't as committed over the summer to, you know, to, to be ready for that first day. So would you almost recommend, you know, cause every coach likes to do the fitness test that first practice, would you almost recommend doing the fitness test? at the end of preseason, like during this gradual ramp up. So maybe guys are a little bit, I wouldn't say fresh, but at least, you know, they're not, they're not dead after the first day. Uh, it depends how you're going to use your fitness test, right? Because there's a lot of different ways where you can apply it. Um, I'm of the big mindset that you shouldn't test simply just to test. It should always have a purpose, whether that purpose be getting a baseline for fitness or whether the purpose be deciding who's in your starting 11, um, make sure you're actually using it for something. Now, personally, with the, the college teams I'm working with right now, I'm actually having them run the fitness tests three times during the entire summer. Um, and then they're going to do it again once they arrive on campus with their head coach. 
And the reason I actually like doing that is it gives the athlete a chance to see if they're training at the right intensity. Because if you're training for four weeks and your fitness test score is the same before the four weeks and the after the four weeks, that means you're not training at the right intensity, right? Which tends to be the problem with kids going away for an entire summer. So if you test it multiple times during the summer and you test it right when you get back on campus, I think that's going to give you the better baseline. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I never, I never did anything like that. You know, we had our fitness tests and I always thought it was just like, I can't really run the fitness test myself just because it's not the right environment, but it would make a lot more sense just to continuously test yourself. I mean, it's the same thing with strength training. You know, you got to, got to test your, your maxes, your one, your two, your three rep maxes every now and then just to see if you're, you're making any improvement. So, um, I love, I love that. I love that. But so let, let's jump back to working with a professional team in a professional setting. What were they doing on a daily basis in terms of strength training, prehab, uh, maybe one of some of them that were injured? What, what, what you know, what did that look like on a day to day basis? Yeah. So when I was um, an intern at Athletic Lab, I was able to watch um, pretty much everything that the NC Courage was doing. Um, they were training four to five times a week on the pitch. And depending on the week, they were training uh, one to two times a week in the gym. And man, it was it was crazy. And those girls, they train at the highest intensity I've ever seen anyone train at, like ever. And they they come in like a lot of the times they'd have a field session in the morning and then they'd come into the gym in the afternoon because um, in North Carolina in the summer, it's hot. So you try to do that early, get to the gym later. So they would kind of do the warm up with the fitness coach, Mike Young. He would take them through that, do a little bit of a speed session during that as well. They'd go onto the pitch, do their whatever the head coach wanted to do, whether it be possession based or tactical or even um, towards the end of the week, like a walkthrough and practice set, uh, set pieces, things like that. Um, and then they would go home, come back to the gym later, and then they'd do their lift. Um, and depending on when in the week it was and what the goal for the session was, they'd either be focusing on speed and power or strength based training. And yeah, it, it was crazy to see that operate at a high level because it's not only can you coach one individual well, but can you coach a team well? And those are two very different things. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And I bet, I bet that was just an amazing experience just to be able to watch in that, in that professional setting to see those amazing athletes, you know, work every day on an individual basis. But did you have anything to do with nutri uh, nutrition coaching or at least nutrition in some setting with the, with the professional athletes, or, or at least do you have an insight onto how, um, into how the courage would eat on a day-to-day -day basis? To be honest, no, I, I didn't really get too into that. Um, I guarantee they have something going along those lines because they're, they're probably the fittest team in the NWSLs and nutrition is a big part of that. But um, I didn't have any experience with that. Gotcha. So how important, though, just from your your experience working with other teams and other athletes is nutrient timing um, for practice and games and really just training on a on a regular day? Yeah, so the timing is important. Um, what I would say is a little bit more important for the general population is just going to be what you're eating in general. So your macros and your calories that that's important because that's what's going to make you a healthy human. Right. So once you have that optimized and you're looking at the timing of, OK, when am I going to eat 
my carbs and what am I going to eat, my heavy meal, my light meal, things like that. That's really important because when you're, when you're going onto the field, right, you have to be fueled up, but you can't be heavy. And to do that mm-hmm. six to seven days per week, that's, that's really hard, you know, because you have to get in your calories, you have to get in all your macros, and you have to do it in a way where your body feels optimized for performance every time you step on the field. Absolutely. Absolutely love that. And let's go back to the professional setting. You know, what did what did Coach Young, or in your opinion, do so well with these professional athletes to get them to understand why the why into what they were doing? You know, how did he get these these athletes to buy into his system and his and his development into what they were doing in the weight room? Yeah, I think a lot of it is um communication, right? So communication with both the players and the the coaching staff. And I believe he's been with the Courage for a, a good amount of years now. And they've won two championships. So there's buy-in right there, right? If if you're winning rings, then it's like, okay, what did we do last time? Right. And I was just watching the NWSL um their their challenge cup. And I was I kind of got a chance to to watch most of the teams at least once. And it was pretty clear that like the Courage Minute 85, minute 90, like they're still going. Uh, if you guys, if any of you watched there, were watching the match first, um, I believe it was, it wasn't the Washington Spirit. Um, it was Portland when they, they actually lost against mm, Portland. Yep. But right. I was watching them do these runs, minute 85, minute 90. They were, they were, they didn't win, but they were still going strong physically. And that kind of showed me like, man, this team, they don't have a physical limit. If they lose, it's not because of physicality. And, that's something that that really I want to take with me wherever I end up in the future. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. And so speaking of, you know, late minute runs, how can we train in the off season to to be fit in the later minutes? You know, what what should athletes be doing to be able to continue at that pace for a full 90 minutes? You know, like, would you say more more distance or more sprints? I mean, I know I have my opinion in think I'd, I would know yours but you know what, what what's the best type of training in your opinion to, to be able to be 90 minute match fit yeah i think that 90th minute it comes down to something that that coaches call repeated sprints ability where it, it's pretty advanced right because you have to be able to sprint well and you have to have an endurance space where you could do that repeatedly um i think those are really what makes the difference in minute 90 right because anaerobically at that point like you're shot there's there's nothing left right it's it's mostly aerobic right so to be able to sprint repeatedly and to have that volume that's already built up to that point i think that's what's going to make the difference at minute 90 and it also it also makes a big difference who you're playing too right because you could have Mm -hmm. one team that let's say who is in um let's say one team that's in the usl right who is super fit for the USL and 90 minutes against any other USL opponent, they're good to go. You take that same team, you put them in the Premier League, higher level competition, they can't compete. So it's also about who you're playing right. to. Love that. I love that. And so what would you say, again, going along to this kind of offseason training thing, you know, if what would you say to an athlete? I know it's hard because it's always, it's always going to depend, but what would you put as your staples if you had like three staples into an off-season training program to 
to be the most fit, the strongest that um, any athlete could be? You know, do you have any staples that you recommend to to people that you consult on a on a daily basis? Yeah, so my big three are speed, strength, and stamina. Um, those, I think, are the really key focuses that we should really be focusing on. Speed to help you run fast. Because if you look at the match deciding plays of any game, a lot of them have sprinting before them. Um, so you need speed. You need strength to be strong on the ball, strong off the ball, and be resilient so you can stay away from injury. And you need stamina so you can do those for 90 minutes. So those are my big three, speed, strength, and stamina. I think that's something that every athlete um, should be doing in their preseason training. For sure, for sure. And so when we're talking about that strength building, you know, I, th I think, I, and I get a, a handful of questions too about, you know, like what should I be doing in the gym? And and I ask, I always ask people what they're doing already. And I get a lot of kind of like that bodybuilding routine where it's, you know, you lift the body part for 10 to 12 reps or eight to 12 reps. And, you know, that's not always the best, best option. So what would you say in terms of building strength, would you recommend to, let's say, let's say a high school, you know, a 15, 16 to, to college athlete? Yeah, so I think most athletes, at least this is what I do personally, is I do either a full body day or an upper body day, mm -hmm. more specifically for soccer players. Um, the reason I kind of like splitting it up that way is because if you're training the entire body, your soreness is going to be minimal because you, you disperse that throughout your entire body. Right. Um, also, if you happen to miss a session in the gym, because you either had an extra match that week or an extra practice, you're still good. It's not like you miss leg day, right? Because you've been training legs <laughs> two days before that too. Um, so that's kind of like why I, I enjoy doing the full body training. And during that, right, it's not like we're breaking it down into legs, chest, arms, and muscle and um, certain muscle groups. We're training areas or, or movements in general, right? So we're training the squat, yep. we're training the lunge, the, the push, the pull. That way, everything's a compound movement, and that's going to translate better to the game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd, I'd be lying too if I said when I was in college I wasn't lifting like a bodybuilder, where I did chest on Monday and and back the next day, and so on and so forth. Until you know, it wasn't until a little somewhat recently when I was like, okay, this is a completely wrong way. Let's let's switch it up. And yeah, I know I totally agree about the the full body stuff and just making sure that you're hitting everything too, and just. And plus, I also feel like getting in a full body lift, you don't also have to go to the gym as much because, you know, like you said, you're, you're not skipping, you're not missing out on anything. And at least like every day you're getting, you're getting something in that's beneficial. And, you know, you're not just lifting arms and you're benching, which, you know, I see, see a lot of athletes do. But um, now in terms of a speed and stamina, how can one person, you know, what, what's the best way to gradually increase a speed training? Because, you know, for training speed, we want to be sprinting. You know, how, how can we go about gradually building up a sprint or that speed and stamina phase? Yeah, so for speed, you can kind of break it down into distance and intensity, right? So athletes, they, and especially in soccer, a lot of people think they should be doing like full field sprints, where if you look at the, the GPS data and everything like that, Soccer players, they only typically spent sprint for between 20 to 30 meters, right? So 30 mm -hmm. meters is kind of like my, my top peak in terms of distance for sprinting. 
when you're looking at how much you should be doing, you should be saying, okay, um, how many sprints does a player typically do during a game? And depending on the position and, and the tactics of the team, it could be anywhere from two to about 10, really. Um, so those are kind of like my, my baseline measurements is, okay, I'm going to start at a short distance. I'm going to keep the intensity low, let's say 80 to 85%. And I'm going to do four to five sprints, maybe up to six. And I'm going to slowly build up the distance and the intensity as the preseason goes on. Um, that's going to improve your speed. And that's also going to strengthen your muscles, specifically your hamstrings, and hopefully prevent injury down the road. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you say that, said uh, the part where you you should look at what you're doing in a game because I think that gets lost a lot of times, you know, and that's, that's what I started doing with goalkeepers. I said, okay, well, wait a minute. We don't really sprint that much in a game. And when we do, it's short most of the time and it's powerful. So, it's, you know, it, to me, it's like training is just, it, it doesn't have to be complicated. It's just look what you're doing in the game. And can we replicate that in some way in some shape in training? And, you know, I think that's, that's the best way to do it. But yeah, I, I think he, you brought up a good yeah. keep uh, good point with the goalkeepers, right? Because they're always sprinting from most likely a dead stop, right? But if you compare right. that to, let's say, uh, a right back or a winger, they're not going from a complete stop. They're going from a jog, too. So uh, right. I, I think it's the little things like that where it's like, OK, we can make this a little bit more specific. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and the big thing, too, it's like, you know, my, my big thing is, is how can we educate coaches on that as well? Because, you know, I think, I think it's starting to change a little bit now, but you know, when, when I was playing, it was always just the same thing. You know, the fitness tests were the same, the training was the same, like fitness was just done as punishment. You know, it's like, you know, how can we get coaches to understand? And, and I guess this is a long and a broad question, but it's, you know, what resources are out there for coaches to, to sit and learn about strength conditioning about fitness and you know we can't just keep the same ways where it's just let's run let's do fitness today just because we're doing fitness today i think a good one is um united soccer coaches they have a diploma specifically for um sports performance and the the faculty that they have on that is is outstanding um they have james wagon schultz um paulo passione who's the fitness coach for club america in mexico um, a few coaches on the female side as well. And it's, it's amazing. And I think that diploma is a good starting point for any coach who wants to learn more about fitness. Uh, I think it's something that's really, really not emphasized, unfortunately, in, in U.S. soccer's education. Um, I remember I was at a, I, have you taken any of like the, the grassroots or, or coaching courses like yep. that? Yep. Mm hmm. So I was actually yeah. at a, a, a grassroots coach, a uh, grassroots course um, a few months ago. And throughout the entire four-hour lecture, nothing about physicality or even a warm-up was mentioned. And at the end, I was like, hey, man, we didn't really talk about warm-ups. Like, what kind of things do you do with your teams? And he looked at me. He's like, hey, does a, does a cheetah warm up before it hunts down a gazelle? And I'm like, no, not really. And he's like, okay, there's your answer. And I was like, wow, like this is what we're teaching our, our coaches, right? That, that's insane to me that the physical side of the game is that undervalued in, in our coaching education. 
or 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 he's complimenting every player and calling them all cheetahs in that fast right <laughs> no but um <laughs> but yeah you know you, you know but yeah it's crazy it, it's crazy and it's a warm-up is just so undervalued too and and plus and, the, and this is the worst part too i think is that a lot of teams have been doing the same warm-ups and you know i've been been on staffs so where i'd watch the same warm-ups and i've been a player where we did the same thing like you know you jog once or twice around the field and then you do a really lazy static stretch and then coaches come out and like all right let's play and then but it's like you know and you looking back it's like well that's probably why we had guys getting hurt and pulling hammies all the time because you take a half-ass jog around around the field and then you know do that one where you stand with your legs spread out you stretch once or twice and then you start passing and kicking a ball and and you know you bring up a great point it's just a warm-up and a cool down and you know everything from that fitness side is just so undervalued it really is. And when I was um, in Baltimore at the United Soccer Coaches Conference, um, I watched Paolo Pacione do a warm up with um, a youth squad. And by the end of that warm up, their heart rates, they were above 200. And he's, he wow. said, everybody look at the screen right now because we, we could see all their heart rates. He's like, do you see how everyone is in the red? He's like, during wow. a game, they will be in the red. They need to be at that point at the end of their warm-up. That's the intensity we need to give it at. How, how long was that warm-up? Um, seven to ten minutes. And it, it was a gradual build-up. But by the end, man, they were, right. they were gassed, you know. But that's what you need to prepare the body to do. Yeah, and that, that's the other thing, too, that I think over – over underlooked i'm not really sure but it's just you know the warm-up doesn't have to be a 30-minute warm-up right i mean like you just mentioned seven to ten minutes and and their heart rates are above 200 right so it, you know it doesn't have to take up much time at practice at all and it's probably more beneficial than whatever warm-up or first activity that you were going to begin with anyway and so um coaches if you're listening you know there's proof right there that start start getting start looking out for for good warm-ups and andy's a great resource for that yeah, and if any coaches out there are, are looking for a warm-up, there's one that's been researched extensively by FIFA and a bunch of medical facilities around the world, really, um, the FIFA 11 Plus. And that's shown to reduce injury risk um, by a, a tremendous amount. And it's something that a coach can easily take that, learn it, and apply it to the field within five to ten minutes. It's super easy to do. For sure, for sure. Well, Andy, as we wrap up, I got to ask you the last question that I ask everybody, and that is, after you're done working with a team or, you know, wh whoever comes in contact with you, what type of legacy or what do you want those people that come in contact with you that you work with to say about and Dr. Andy Serafin when they're done working with you? Oh, um, I would love for them to know more i'm all about education right i would love for them to learn more about themselves and their body whether it be through health or performance to say hey i i know my body better now than i do before we we started working together i love that i love that and you know, i hope people can can understand that as well but andy i appreciate you taking the time my man thank you so much and i uh, look forward to seeing all the great work that you're doing in the future Yes, sir. And best of luck as you, you move out to Boston, man. And that's a big move for you. Uh, thank you, my man. Thank you. Move out to Boston, man. And that's a big move for you.